You are listening to the TF Cast, a Mankato-based arts and culture podcast where we hear stories of upcoming projects and get to know the people making things happen all across southern Minnesota. The following podcast was recorded April 28th of 2021. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TF Cast. Today with us we have Brenda Byron with the Prairie Lakes Regional Arts Council. Um, introduce yourself, Brenda, and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about some of the grant opportunities that you have coming up right away. Yes, I'm Brenda Byron. I'm the director of Prairie Lakes Regional Arts Council. We cover the nine-county area. We award grants to artists, arts organizations, community groups, and schools. And um, if someone's looking for one of these grants, like what kind of person are you generally looking for? Who are these available to? Because that's a very wide range of groups. Yeah, we're going to talk about artist grants today to start with. And that's a $1,500 like career development grant. And artists in all disciplines can apply. You don't have to be a fine artist. You can be an artist who is self-taught. You don't have to have a degree. You can be creative in a lot of ways and a lot of different media. And this grant could be for you. And what kind of things can people use this money for? Like if the artist, is it for materials or? Yeah, it can be used for a variety of things. It can be art supplies, equipment. You could study with a mentor. You could take workshops. If you need the money just for time, let's say you have all your materials you need to create some visual art, but you just want some time. You could pay yourself a certain number of hours over a certain number of months and use the grant funds. And if you needed to use it for living expenses for a month or two to create that work, um, both of those kinds of ideas are acceptable. Hmm. That's cool. So um, what, what, uh, what does the process look like for someone who's, who I guess goes from not knowing that grants exist to finding out there's one, they, they apply for this one in particular through the Prairie Lakes website. And then they either get accepted. What is what is what does the acceptance process look like? And maybe after too. Yeah, and it is a lot of steps. So it's a lot of learning as you start to learn mm-hmm. about grants available. And so we do some grant writing workshops, and we have some coming up in May and June. Mm. The artist grant is September first, so you have a few months now to plan and get your information together so you can look up information on our website, come to that workshop. So artists need to know if they are got a project idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have one thing in mind or two things? So sometimes they visit with me over the phone or through email and find out, well, what can the grant be used for? Well, let's back up. What kind of art do you do? Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Are you a writer? Are you a musician? What do, you, what do you want to do? What are you currently doing? Because those are actually some questions you'll actually answer in the grant. Tell us about your current art practice. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do in the future? And then we start to think and talk about, even at a workshop or individually, how would you use the money? What do you need most? Would you, would you prioritize it? How many mm. months would it take? Do you have a couple months? Maybe you're already working a full-time job and you do your art on the side. How will you carve out time in your work schedule to create your art? And mm. so that's part of what's your timeline. You get a whole year to use the grant. Mm-hmm. So if you applied in September, you would use that grant from October to October. Mm-hmm. So one uh, I, I was actually a recipient of, of this grant. This was, would have been last year. It was 2019 year, I believe. And so I, I've talked about that experience a little bit on the on the show a couple of times and it was it was really interesting and a, and a great learning process for me too because I had heard that art 
grants existed and it's this thing that you hear talked about, especially as you start to get close to, I don't know, some of the artist circles around town, whether they're uh, visual artists or musicians and you, you see a couple people who've done projects, uh, through, through grants funded by grants. And I, similarly to a couple of the, the things we've already brought up, like didn't really think it was for me. It's like, I don't know how I would utilize that. Like you, you just imagine someone retreating to a cabin to paint or something. And then they're like, <laughs> but, um, after doing a little bit of uh, further research and, and talking to some folks about it, I really did learn that it's like it is really more about like if you've got a compelling artist project and you're doing interesting things with it, this can help you certainly without it having to be limited to visual artists or, or music. Or... Right. And you're a media artist, and we've had a lot of filmmakers where they mm. really needed equipment. They needed uh, to produce something and mm-hmm. get it uploaded so it could be used as a work sample. So they're kind of usually in progress doing several things. Mm-hmm. And it's really about an artist thinking about... Uh, where am I at in my career? Where do I want to go? Mm. Are there some steps I take to keep myself in the professional lane of progressing in my art? And there's a lot of things that are needed with that. So that's like work samples, but it's also like a resume. Have you got a work resume? Do you have an artistic resume? That's a component of an application. Mm. You also have to learn about an artist statement. So that's a visual uh, I mean, I'm sorry, narrative way to visually describe what you do and why you do it. That's a question in an application. So there's lots of things to learn about yourself and how you would convey that information to a panel of people who will look at it and say, um, do they have the artistic skill needed? Do they have the credentials and the documentation of their work? Mm-hmm. How have they described themselves? And one of the things I think that's sometimes intimidating for artists is they just feel like, I don't want to ask for money. Mm. That's hard to do. And people that don't ask for stuff don't get it. (laughs) So if you can't toot your own horn and talk about the work you do, you won't move very forward in your career over a period of time. You might just Mm. stay stuck in the same place. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a lot, too, as it relates to like having imposter syndrome and not not feeling like an artist as you as you imagine them to be. You know, your work's not in some gallery hanging mm-hmm. up to be viewed. So it's tough to imagine yourself being a, an artist. And I think people are really uh, maybe quick to like discount their participation in their own art too. And be like, Oh, it's like, it's just my simple little process or something. But really it's like, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's where it all comes from. So it's, I think one of the things you said, too, was that sometimes you're inspired by other artists and you see a project they're doing or you go to their event or hear some music they compose and you're like, great, how did you do that? Mm. Oh, I've been working on this for years and I finally got some money and I can move this along now. Mm-hmm. And I was able to buy this, I was able to rent this space. And so that's what prompted them, kind of motivated, springboarded them to doing mm-hmm. something more in the public that they morally kept private. And they did amongst them friends. And now they're going up, you know, the next level. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what, what sort of, uh, what do you hope to see resulting from the, the art uh, grant? Like, I, I guess, uh, phrase that better. Like, um, what is, when, when Prairie Lakes hears the stories of how these things went, like, what are they excited about? 
um, what are the, what shines in that space? Well, sure. So the people who serve on our board are artists, members of arts organizations. Maybe they've taught at the high school or college level. Maybe they're just a community person. So they understand that because they're one of you. They are one of the arts uh, people from their community, too, who wants to see artists recognized. And so they like artists to be very straightforward. And what do they want to do? Don't don't you have any special jargon? Mm-hmm. You just say it just clearly as possible um, and why it's important to you. So your passion for your art should somehow shine through what you're writing about yourself. Mm. So even artists who first start to write that language, I'm happy to look at that narrative uh, through an email. You should share it with others and say, does this make sense? Um, for, for a lot of us, uh, or people who are artists, my background is in music and I was a drummer in high school. Hmm. I didn't see myself being an artist in the future. I have a business degree. I have a master's in, you know, more business sense. <laughs> and, and, you know, artists are at all different levels and sometimes they don't see themselves as business people, but in fact they are, they have to take this seriously because their business is their artwork throughout the years and even if they start out on a smaller level or amount of time they spend on it mm-hmm. eventually you want to see where your career might go and yeah. you got to start dreaming now to get there mm-hmm. I, I feel i feel like a lot of artists and we, we talk about this all the time too is sometimes you know they like telling people that what i'm doing is great is difficult for them and it is it is just kind of that shameless self-promotion um which is a, a good thing for the arts typically but i wanted to ask a little bit about the uh, other folks on the board, maybe, and the people who are evaluating it. You said that they're members of the community or other artists just like you. What is that review process like, and what are some of these people like? Sure. So um, I kind of mentioned it already, the variety of people who serve on our board, because they review all the grants uh, that are submitted to our office. And they want to see artists having um, a career path, an idea of what's been written in the grant. So it's, you know, you're scored on your, uh, your ability to achieve your project. Is there, is it a logical time frame? Have you explained yourself well? Do you have that documentation of work samples and a resume that show you're trying? So mm. some people might say, I don't have a lot on my resume. Well, you have to get started. So if you haven't, I, I usually use visual artists because we have more visual artists applied to our funds than musicians or writers, but we're getting a lot more media, mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers recently, is that um, you need to... Oh, I got off track on that thought. Sorry. It's okay. You're uh, talking about just the the things people need to prepare and their resume building. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets started. So if you're a visual artist and you say, well, I've created a lot of work, but I haven't exhibited anywhere, mm. you need to exhibit it somewhere. So if you can't have your own solo show... Enter a group show. Hmm. Start posting your information on Facebook. Uh, start a media channel, you know, in social media. So where you're trying to promote it, you're uh, talking about it, you're showing your themes, you're, you're doing something to move your art along. And those are things that you capture on your um, resume. And mm-hmm. for a composer, have you written some things? Have you done some YouTube videos? Have you recorded those? It's getting a lot simpler. It used to be so hard to get the media uh, uh, gathered. You know, it was hard to get a professional photograph of work. You can just take it on your phone now. Mm-hmm. It's not the best, but you got to start somewhere yeah. and then progress. You can use your own recording on your phone. Then you move to cameras, microphones yourself, or you ask for that in the grant. So mm-hmm. it's all those stepping stones. Um, to, to kind of building that work sample and those things you would list on a resume. 
and volunteer time on a resume. A lot of artists volunteer with other arts groups, mm. uh, mentor kids, mentor other artists. Those are things that could go on a resume, too. So it shows your involvement, even if your day job is you work at a, a factory. Mm-hmm. It's just being a part of the, of the art community and really participating with that. Mm-hmm. And for these grants, um, what does the output look like for it? Like for, for the artists, like if you're producing something on a Prairie Lakes grant, what do they have to, how do they display this? Like what are the terms? Well, one of the things that changed with COVID is we took away the uh, requirement that you had to do a public presentation. Mm-hmm. So as people weren't able to gather uh, a group of people and you had to wear masks and social distance, it was hard for visual arts centers to even stay open. Mm-hmm. Um, musicians couldn't perform. Everybody mm-hmm. had to be masked in the audience and six, sitting six feet apart. So some of those things kind of uh, were lessened as a specific requirement. But most artists think about how do they share their work with the public. So when I mention like social media, especially, you can show what you're doing. And even if you are uh, having a show at the Carnegie Art Center, the 410 or the Wasika Art Center, if people can't come to the show, that art center usually is now taking photographs and doing mm. a short video to promote it because they're knowing people aren't always coming out. They don't feel safe yet. So mm-hmm. right now we're still in that transition period of um, how do you do something safely and share it? And how can you do some things virtually? And more mm-hmm. of the younger artists are able to think creatively about how can I do that virtually? Mm-hmm. Older artists are very different. So we got some 20-year-olds kind of the starting point even though you can be 18 to apply for the grant we got people up to their 70s applying because Mm. they're at all stages of their career they will worked a full job retired in their 60s now they're going strong being a a full-time artist Mm. and finally putting their creative you know uh, endeavors first in their life Um, so I think there's the whole gamut Mm. Um, you know I think one of the things you said I guess if we're going to talk about a writer, a writer would usually do a reading. Maybe they're doing it at the art center. Maybe they're doing it at the library. Maybe they're just recording it. We recently had a, mm. a book fair by Deep Valley Book Festival in Mankato, and different writers could read or they had published books. And so then they did a, I would call it an educational workshop about writing or the genre they work in. Mm-hmm. Um, so a writer could also do that. That's not in person, but it's virtually and they're sharing their craft with someone else. Well, and, and I think especially with the ease of, of video production and stuff, it, it opens up a lot more doors for displaying like that. I guess uh, for me, it seems like the end uh, with with the public display of the project seemed really important just to kind of close the, to contain the whole thing and to, and to release it into the world a little bit. So that part really made sense for me. And uh, even though it was actually, it was the year that it was canceled. So I it was received notification. I didn't have to, that was almost more disappointing. At first I was like, Oh, that was the weight off my chest. But then it was like, Oh, but then it, how does it end? <laughs> and so, right. Uh, that culminating event yeah. uh, is really important to artists usually because that's their mm-hmm. time to shine and to share what they did. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where we've had more artists be inspired by other artists because that's at the point you learn what they were doing and how they got a grant and that Mm. helped them along the way. So those public um, components are kind of important because it does culminate the grant Mm. and you feel that success. Mm. 
And even from the from the beginning with it being a, a submitting when you're when you're applying for the grant, it's about a specific project that that like you said can be done within the given time frame and and with the allocated budget. So it's it's nice that it's kind of got a beginning. <laughs> One of the what was really helpful for me was that a lot of my projects just kind of like tumble on word <laughs> indefinitely. And it's tough to like, I'm trying to get better at, at like separating them and, and, and changing them. But, uh, with the constraints of it being a, a project that you apply for and then a very clear deliverable at the end, that was very helpful in, in it being a little bit more, uh, yeah, I guess contained or something was, I would describe well, that. Well, what you describe too is what a lot of artists say is, you know, they have ideas and, they, and the project is really big. Mm-hmm. And I always say, can you put it into more bite-sized pieces mm-hmm. and time frames? Because you can't do all that and you don't have that much money. Mm-hmm. So even with a $1,500 grant, for some that's a lot and others are like, oh, I could use that up, you know, the first three months. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, thinking about what's a doable with that amount of money, given the time frame you have. Mm-hmm. And even a lot of artists will just say, you know, like this grant is in the fall deadline. They'll say, I'll work on it over the winter. Others will say, no, I'll wait till the summer when I have more time. Maybe I'm a, a part-time student or a, a adjunct faculty or I have family. Mm-hmm. I have more time in the summer. And so an artist can kind of figure out how do I block out some time to be creative and spend time with me and my art. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. It's fun to work within constra- constraints as an artist, too. I think it's uh, an inspiring way of of getting to places you might not have otherwise gotten. And so especially if, if part of that is getting a little bit of uh, cash to throw at, uh, whether it's equipment or, or a premium experience in a recording studio, and that's really wonderful to, to give people... A, an opportunity to play with that because so often as an artist, what you're, the opportunities you get are, you know, you get to play for exposure at the local bar and you'll get paid in smiles. Yeah. You're so. just donating your time and there's not yeah. really a cash transaction with that. Yeah. So it's a good, it's your goodwill to get your information out or your music out and, mm-hmm. and you're hoping others will appreciate it. So the next time you get a gig, you might get paid mm-hmm. at the front end. Well, let's let's talk about money a little bit. Where does the money flow from? How does how do these things get get funded? Sure. Specifically, our artist grants are funded with McKnight Foundation money. So that's in uh, the Twin Cities area, and they have funded our grant programs for probably about thirty years. Oh wow! We receive money from the um, Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, which is, comes through our state legislature, and we get money through the state arts board. So we write a plan for two years, and we just submitted that for the next two years of funding. And that funds more of our organizational grants, so arts organizations, community groups, and schools. And we do some youth scholarships. So kids uh, grades 3 to 6 can get $200 for a scholarship to pay an instructor to give them some lessons. Grades 7 to 12, theirs is $300. So they could uh, join the youth orchestra, the youth choir in Mankato. They could pay an instructor for music, dance, whatever, voice, violin, and uh trying to get kids 
continuing their art. So a lot of kids start in the arts and theater and music and dance. And then as they get to high school, it, the budgets are too tight for the families. And the kids might need a part-time job. So the scholarship can make sure they can stay involved and get some lessons. Um, and a lot of kids might then choose to go on and go to college and continue that, you know, that art form. Mm. And uh, for anyone who, who might not know, what does the McKnight Foundation um, do otherwise? Like it's... Uh... Sure, the McKnight Foundation is very broad and they, they have a lot of areas. So they do environmental programs, women and children. Um, recently, they've been doing a lot of equity and inclusion work and working with BIPOC organizations throughout Minnesota. So they're funding a lot of regional arts councils. There's 11 regional arts councils in the state and we all do artist grants. So our other artists, our, our other regional arts councils are in Rochester. They mm -hmm. cover those nine counties. We have nine counties right in the bottom center of the state. And then Marshall uh, covers southwest Minnesota, our closest other regions. Is, is, are, these, are these councils um, independently operated? Or like, are, is it something that it's just kind of like the state is divvied up and then it's created? You know, it started about 45 years ago that legislators really wanted to have um, specific designated regions of the state get money, and it came through regional development commissions. So that concept of these pockets or these this geographic dividing up of the map of Minnesota is based on regional development commissions. You know, so Mankato was the hub community, uh, and these nine counties. Again, Rochester, Marshall, kind of that same concept. And regional arts councils are their own nonprofit organizations, and they have independent boards of directors, but they all are part of this decentralized system to get the money out of Minneapolis-St. Paul and the mm -hmm. State Arts Board. Even though the State Arts Board does fund things statewide, this regional money comes out to us based on our population of our region, mm -hmm. and then we can award it out in these different programs that our board thinks are important. And I've been their director like 32 years now. Hmm. So things have changed over the years, but the focus still has been on artists, arts organizations, and community projects to make sure that the arts are lifted up in our rural area. Mm -hmm. And what are some of those projects that people might have seen in the community from Prairie Lakes or anyone in this nine-county region? Sure. So the most common one is probably art centers. So we have funded several of the art centers in the nine-county area. Um, you know, Mankato has had some transition with their art centers, even though there's some art centers. Um, not all of them apply to the grants. But Twin Rivers Council for the Arts, Carnegie has not applied for many years, but 410 Project um, has had several projects. Uh, art Center of St. Peter, Montgomery Art Center, Fairmont, Waseca Art Center, and New Alm come to mind as art centers. And so they all have <clears throat> galleries and like showcase artists and some performers. Oh, I see. Is the one in New Alm, is that the, the Grand? Yep, the Grand okay. Center for Arts and Culture. Um, and next most common is maybe community theaters in a lot of the towns. We have one orchestra, Mankato Symphony Orchestra. They also have a youth orchestra, Mankato Area Youth Symphony, Mankato Children's Chorus, Ballet Company. And Mankato has really got like half, almost half of the groups because they really cover, even though they might be centrally located in Mankato, they really bring in people from probably four or five counties and a lot of towns nearby come to participate as audience, as members, um, and, you know, the Mankato community bands. We've got some community bands in other towns. Sometimes there's projects right through 
Mankato or yeah, Mankato Community Education. They do some youth programming. A lot of community education offices in our nine counties write a grant for usually summer youth theater. They might do sp- some special art classes. And recently, maybe the last five or six years, a lot more public art. So a lot mm. of communities are creating public art, using local artists, creating some themes uh, that center around their community. Because I... the. You're responsible for the Art Walk, too, in Mankato? So we award them a grant. Oh, okay. Yes, City Art Walk. And, you know, they raise a lot of money. So they're a pretty big organization as as well as getting business donations and raising funds for that. So the small grant they get from us, that's six or $7,000, um, is matched many times over mm-hmm. because that's probably like a sixty or $70,000 project. For the sculpture walk to happen, the artists to get awards, to publicize it. And and they've done a great job bringing public art to the forefront of the community. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. It's it's really impressive, the scale of that project. But that, it, that that's actually, if, if someone would have asked me before two minutes ago, I would have thought that that was one of the biggest projects that was in the works. And like now just kind of being exposed to more information, I, I just didn't know that there was so many things going on. That's amazing. Yeah, so we probably fund about 90 arts organizations and community groups and schools each wow. year. And we usually fund 24 artists. And now we're going to try to go with 33 artists at least each year with our McKnight funds. Um, and yeah, so we're really busy. And we usually get 100 youth scholarships from those hmm. kids, grades 3 to 12. And do those have to go in through the schools or can they spend that on private lessons or basically the students? Yep. So the students write a a lesson plan for themselves saying, how would I use the money? What teacher would I use? So a lot are connected with a music teacher already, either in Hmm. piano is probably the most common, but that violin, cellos, um, we still have flute and drums and we have vocals and, um, a lot of dance. So they're taking dance, Mankato dance, uh, through the ballet, dance conservatory, and then there's some smaller satellite dance studios in small towns that that students might apply for. And then that money is paid directly to the instructor or to the organization to keep track of. So the students apply for it with their parents' help because the parent has to sign off and then you actually have to write a sentence check off a sentence that says we will make sure our student gets to these lessons Hmm. we will make sure they will follow up and they will use these funds accordingly so Mm -hmm. it's like a partnership with the student and their parent and then with the instructor because the instructor has to give a letter of recommendation so they have to say if they've worked with that student before or if they're new and they have a plan you know they need to work on xyz in their um, skill level uh, for a uh, for young kids, our third graders that start, usually it's their classroom teacher that will, um, you know, give the letter of recommendation. They're very mm. artistic in class. They're always drawing. They excel in every project, you know, so <clears throat> there is way for a, a teacher to give that input. Mm. I, a, a thing you said before that kind of made me wonder a little bit was um, you were talking about the length of time that you've been on the board. Um could you maybe just like tell us a little bit about how the landscape has changed for the arts in that period of time? Um, it, I mean, that's uh, you said was it thirty two years? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. If you could just like talk about like what the community looked like when you entered it, and then how things have changed. Yeah, I was so young when I entered this. <laughs> profession. No, I was right out of graduate school mm-hmm. <clears throat> with a young family, um, and so it's. It's a way that um, 
you start to learn about the community, just like what you said. I knew the town I grew up in was Sika. Mm. I knew some of the towns in the area. What were they doing? And, and the board members who served at that time were instrumental in sharing with me, what are they doing? What are they involved in? They were all involved in some way in their community. And that's why they wanted to be on the board and provide some leadership and make sure that the money would come out uh, mm-hmm. to the area. So at that time, state funding was very low. Let's just, we'll just say we have a $600,000 budget right mm-hmm. now. It used to be like 100000 oh, wow. That was the starting point. And it was just state general funds, and it um, was limited. So it, sometimes it was very much seed money. Projects mm-hmm. might get $1,000. There were no artist grants at first when it started until we made that relationship with the McKnight Foundation, just because it was hard to stretch that state money in too many directions. And so it was like, well, make sure we get a grant out to every county. Mm. Well, what, what about Mankato, who has 20 groups? These other counties have two or three groups. So mm. what's that equitable? What's equitable access? And how can you encourage groups, even if you can't give them a lot of money? So how can we give them uh, technical support um, and promote what they're doing? How could we share the information uh, through a newsletter or or, um, convening the arts groups and having one of the main things about starting the arts community or keep creating this fabric is that drawing all the arts uh, professionals, arts groups, artists together helps them understand they're a strong force. What they're Mm. doing is important. And it's really validating that the arts are important in the community. And there's a lot of folks who think, that's not for me. I don't, I'm not interested in that. And you're like, did you go to your school concert for your student? Mm. Well, yeah, I did that. Have you ever looked at art when you saw it in a gallery? Well, maybe one time. Well, that's a start. That, mm. you know, we're, we're trying to build a, an appetite for art in the community. And usually it's those people who are, who've been to college and studied the arts or been a teacher in school who say, yeah, let's get that going. Let's get something outside the school. Let's get the kids excited. Now let's do something in town. Let's mm-hmm. get their parents involved. And so a lot of this is grassroots efforts of um, keeping the arts alive. And some communities have community theater. In other towns, we've tried that. That didn't work in our town. Mm-hmm. But we have a really good little art center. We have a door- downtown storefront building. We've had that going for 30 years. Great. Every town is different, and their niche is different, and their identity is different based on their teachers. Hmm. Uh, one of the things, I'll just say this because this is my background in music. You know, we had a really strong marching band program in Wasika, and a few other communities do, and it's kept going in our town, and now they do a festival and bring other bands in uh, each fall. Um, is that that was a strength, so then you just kind of build on your strengths. So if you have some hmm. teachers that are kind of leaders in the uh, in certain disciplines, usually then you'd say, how do we get them involved in the community? Let's make sure we don't just have a high school play. Let's have a community play. Sure. Uh, is is Minnesota unique in having opportunities like this, or is, is this pretty common across the states? I would say Minnesota is unique. Um, I have a different hat I wear called uh, Minnesota Citizens for the Arts, and that's an advocacy group that I've been a board member of over 25 years, okay. is that decentralized funding for the arts is not as common. It's usually centralized with the State Arts Board or State Arts Council, 
Mm-hmm. And our state has really worked hard um, to pass. It was called the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment. Mm-hmm. And it was back in 2004, I'm going to say, where we put a referendum on the bill, uh, on the ballot. Would we increase money for um, sorry, parks and trails in the environment and arts and culture? And at first, people were like, um, we really need more money beyond the state budget. And the environmental groups were very strong. We need more pollution control uh, mm-hmm. information and clean water initiatives. And we, we need a lot of things in the environment that the state budget doesn't. So they were kind of the leaders of that. But they needed a lot of other partners around the state to make that happen. So that mm-hmm. legacy bill got passed. It's on the books for 25 years. And that added like a 3 three-fourths cent increase to our tax overall in our state. And that's what really gave us extra funding um, starting at that time. Hmm. And I would say it tripled our budget. So then, you know, if we started out years ago at 100000 then we moved up to two hundred, then we were three hundred, and all of a sudden we were like 500000 Oh, my gosh, think of all the things we could do. Mm-hmm. Should we give more grants? Should they be bigger? How do And we started doing an, a regional art show. We started doing an artist grantee show. Mm-hmm. We started doing a lot more things that brought the arts up another level and more into the public eye, not just people who enjoyed the arts. Everybody could be part of it. Um, and so, you know, money talks. So those extra mm-hmm. dollars really did make a difference. Mm-hmm. That's nice. And, I, go for it. I was gonna say, and, and have you seen that um, be reflected in like there are there more arts institutions or just like what are what are some of those like the things that you see that have happened in, in like the last five or six years? Well, in general, I would say that um, a few new arts groups do come into being, um, and they're usually focused on certain projects or certain discipline. What we really have seen more is like the stability and the long-term evolution of the arts groups. Hmm. So I'll just give an example in some of the arts uh, applications we receive. And we would call these the arts and cultural heritage applicants versus a small arts grant, lesser money. Um, But they're saying we've been around 25, 30 years. We have a strong board of directors. Now a lot of people are aging out in their 60s and 70s on our board, and it's hard to get mm. new younger people volunteers. Mm. So what happens is that we still need to be cultivating new artists, new people who want to volunteer in the arts organizations, because it's, it comes full circle. You've had a great success in a lot of these arts groups, but how do you keep it going mm. uh, when it's a lot of it is volunteers? Only a few have you know, paid staff or part-time paid staff, it's still a lot of volunteerism in the arts. And new creative ideas are great. We funded a lot of new projects. We funded a couple new projects that are coming up here in Mankato. I've been working with the Mankato Diversity Council, and they have a Juneteenth celebration, June 19th, here in Mankato at the Government Center Mm -hmm. on the lawn. We have never funded it in the past. We've we've heard about it. I kind of said, let's build a relationship. Bethany Truman is who I worked with. And they're doing great things to promote black artists and black businesses and something really new and creative and working on let's um, make people aware that this is important to have a lot of cultural celebrations. And Mm -hmm. we've worked with another um, 
Latino artist, Justin Eck, and he's a mural painter, and he's working with the downtown um, Old Town Association and some other businesses who want to see a Day of the Dead celebration in October mm. and have it right down there on Riverfront Drive and block off the road and have a mariachi band and and different artist vendors and uh, it should be very unique and different, and it and it's really great. We mm. we want to see a lot of the cultural communities think about you know can they organize a celebration, but it's hard. It's hard to navigate that, especially with volunteers, people working regular jobs. We've worked with St. James several years. They do a multicultural festival, um, and and bring in a variety of artists, um, Native American dancers. They had a bagpipe player. They had. Norwegian fiddlers. Then they had um, several dance organizations that did uh, Latin dances uh, of Mexican culture. And we've seen that at the uh, International Festival at Mankato State University. So sometimes mm. a bigger, like a university is sponsoring more cultural things too. And I've been to lots of events up there. Sometimes you need organizations who have that structure and a staff who can promote it. It's harder to do on a small scale with all volunteers, but we have a lot of groups that are trying to do that and having some success. It's just a matter of will they do one or two projects and they'll have to take a break. Will the same people stay involved? Hmm. I think that's how the mural projects happen too. A lot of the communities think, well, we, we have something unique here. We want to promote it. We want to make people aware of our town. We see it happening in other towns. We don't want to get left behind. Mm -hmm. We want to find out how do we do that. And so mm -hmm. we talk to them about grants and finding an artist and what's their theme and whose building will it be on? You know, there's a lot of uh, things to figure out. We kind of try to walk them through that or find other partners. So sometimes we're just helping groups talk about ideas because they might feel isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. um, it's not any different uh, in a big town as a small town. It's a matter of who you know and how you make connections and network. And that's going to make a successful project in any town. So does the, uh, uh, does the Prairie Lakes Arts Council have a list of all the viable walls in, in town here? <laughs> I know there's a couple blank ones yet, but most of them are getting <laughs> filled up. Well, you know, the local art center or the city center partnership, you know, they're looking at the city of Mankato. Um, we fund, we funded a few of them, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one we funded was with uh, Mike Samino and it was right across from the Children's Museum on the highway uh, Riverfront Drive. The geometric. It's geometric yeah. and abstract. And so that idea that a town can have several kinds of art in murals in their community to represent different things. You know, what's unique? Everything mm -hmm. doesn't have to be historical. It doesn't have to be landscape driven. You know, you can have variety, but you don't even think about that unless you've already seen that. You've had some art successes. Mm -hmm. You've had, uh, I would say, the traffic box murals. That's actually an inspiration for a lot of towns. Other small towns have asked mm -hmm. me, how can we how can we do that? How did they do that? Who should we contact? We want to do it just like they did. Mm. And that might work in their town and it might not. We had one town who decided to paint fire hydrants instead because mm. it was more manageable. Maybe it wasn't as durable or lasting, but that wasn't the point. The point was to create this excitement about the arts. Mm. One library in St. James, because I was down there doing several projects, was the library was going to do one in front of their uh, building. It was just going to be kids. 
It didn't have to be a professional artist. Kids could come up with the design through a class they were already taking at the library, and then the ones that wanted to do it would work with a lead artist to paint it. But, you know, it doesn't have to um, uh, be professional and really big. You can start small, some small ways. Mm. I think that uh, there's some analogies there with, like, just being an artist. It's kind of a big part of it is about figuring out how you are able to participate, I guess, like, work on your art, but how you're able to participate in the communities and other social groups that, that you have access to. And like, though it might be great to be a touring act and travel all over with your crew or whatever, maybe, maybe you're at the open mic stage and it's important to just get some reps in where you're, where you can and participate in the the culture and the community. Right. And I think more people are interested now in bridging cultural gaps mm. and getting to know people they, they wouldn't normally be in a, in a room with. And that, I think that's really great. And that's what's really needed is that we start to understand other cultures. First, we have to understand ourselves. We're working on some equity and inclusion goals with our board and that you have to know your own ancestry. What country did your family come from? How did they migrate to Minnesota? Mm. All of us are immigrants. Uh, somewhere along the line and seeing ourselves as similar rather than different is going to help us all in the forward thinking about how to get along, how to do joint projects, how to celebrate each other's customs uh, Mm -hmm. is the best part. Yeah. Well, you you talked earlier about uh, equity and, and supporting communities too. And so I'm sure that's an important part of what you do there and trying to figure out how maybe you can reach communities that, that don't uh, see your stuff as, as easily or don't get it shown to them. Right. Um, trying to trying to advertise in different ways, word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, the successful projects that are more cultural, people are paying attention to mm-hmm. and they're wanting to find out, well, how did you get the resources? Where did that money come from? Did you raise the money through donations? Mm-hmm. And, and all of those things are part of it. I would say another thing about grants um, for organizations is that our grant is usually some of the seed money, and then they raise money through memberships, donations, ticket sales. So it, they be, mm. they multiply that state grant money that we award multiple times, and that's what we tell legislators. So the legislators from our area are an important um, contact point for us because we talk to them through email correspondence and through, I actually go to the Capitol once a year to talk about the importance of arts funding so Mm. that they know that money came down in their district and where those grants were awarded. Mm. All of the organizations that get grants have to write a thank you letter to their senator Mm. and their representative to tell them (laughs) what they did with it and all those kids. So a hundred kids write letters. They can just email them. It's a simple process. I, I got a grant for this. I took lessons. I did what? Or an arts group would say, come to our event. We, we sponsored this. Thank mm. you for this state funding. Because our legislators make sure that money gets um, awarded in our state through a variety of votes on budgets up at the Capitol. Mm. Cool. That's, that's, that's special to be able to uh, share, share the results of, of those, the projects and things like that. Well, um, let's... Get back a little bit to the, uh, I think, the core of what we were trying to talk about, which was the uh, art, Developing Artist Grant. And uh, I see here that you yourself are able to help uh, people 
figure out what their grant might be like how how would that be would someone come to you with a a vague idea or some sort of yeah usually i get a call or an email it says i see you have some grants um mm-hmm. i have this idea and uh they may be able to articulate it it may be i have to ask them a series of questions so on a phone call i'll just say well tell me what you're currently doing mm-hmm. where do you see that going what's your biggest barrier to uh, making that happen mm. is it money what would you do with the money uh, and you just we just start that way sometimes i say well there's this structured workshop also come to the workshop and hear all the details but really a starting point is just a conversation and mm. i'm willing to um, visit with anybody about that. We're here to help. We're here to encourage you. Maybe it's not the right time for a grant, but you want to start thinking about what's needed. Mm. What do I have to start thinking about? What questions would I answer? How would I tell my story? We have some questions in the application that lead you through that. So even if an artist, I would just say, and even an artist who wasn't funded would say, well, I learned a lot about myself because I had to finally write down mm. what did I want to do? How was I going to do it? And what would it take to do it? So if an artist didn't know that ahead of time, the questions would lead them through that whole process. And for, for in general, that's, that's a learning experience. And it mm-hmm. took time. It took, maybe it took several weeks, um, you know, to gather that information. I tried to, you know, spend five, 10 minutes. And then I say, why don't you, why don't you think about that? Write some of those questions down that I, mm-hmm. you know, answers to those questions I gave you, then send me a note back and then th- think about what you want to do next. It really is a step-by-step process, and it could be that coming to the workshop just makes you realize you got to start a resume, and you hadn't thought about that before. Maybe you're not ready for a project yet. But once you find out maybe the grant's only available once a year, you're like, hmm, it's now or never, or i got to wait yeah. a whole year. So that motivates artists sometimes. The timing is right. Or um, maybe they're in between jobs. This is the perfect time to focus on their career. Others will say, I got too busy and I got more responsibilities at work. I don't want to start a project like that. I don't know how I'd get it done. Mm. The other thing I would say to an artist like that is you have one year. If you need an extension, something changed, a uh, job change, you're not supposed to move out of the area during the time you're, you got your grant. But you would complete your projects, what I tell you, before you move. So complete it early. But let's say you got sick. Something happened in your family. You could get an extension, three months, six months. We've given up to a year extension for unusual circumstances, and COVID was certainly one of those. Some mm-hmm. artists really had to focus on paying the bills. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, their their art project had to go to the side. Um, they needed to focus on their family and their job, um, and, and that's okay. As long as we have that email contact back and forth, we can give them an extension. Mm-hmm. And and I've been doing this a long time. We can trust artists to do things because they really want to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we're not really worried about that. But, it, you know, that conversation is the first point. Give me a call. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about their project and what they want to do. That's very cool. And you mentioned a couple of deadlines. Uh, deadlines sounds like a scary word to use there. But uh, upcoming dates or significant events, uh, a workshop maybe? Yeah, so we're going to do a couple artist workshops, May 17th and June 15th. Just, you know, it's just like an hour workshop. We're going to do it online through Zoom. And that will give you some of the details you'll be needing if you want to apply in September. So September 1st is the deadline. You know, so it takes you, it's going to take you several weeks, or several months to gather all your information and think through all that. Mm-hmm. So this is not too early to be thinking about it. So we want to get you started. 
we've put out some stuff in our newsletter and on our website. Um, you can look at a video that covers the basics. There's also a printed list. There's also guidelines. So it depends how much you want to read. For most people, you know, let's, let's get the first five, 10 minutes, look at a video. Mm-hmm. You want to talk to me on the phone? Five, 10 minutes. We can set up our own Zoom call. Now we don't have to wait to gather people in person. Mm-hmm. You say you want to have a meeting, I could get you in in the next week. That's Give wonderful. me a call. We can talk. That's great. Yeah, well, I, I'm really excited to uh, get this episode out there. I think a lot of our Triple Falls community is really uh, artists themselves, practicing artists, and a lot of people who are just getting their, their stuff rolling or are looking for uh, something to take them to the next level. And I think that this is a really, really special opportunity. And we're lucky to have it here in Minnesota. Well, you guys do a great job. It's because I watched some of your podcasts that I really saw some of the artists that we had funded and some mm-hmm. we didn't. I'm like, who is that? I haven't heard of them. Where do they live? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, well, word of mouth is really in promotion of other people is sometimes how you find out about other artists. So I thought this is the place I need to start and work with some artists that you have as your audience and yeah. who we want to reach. Well, I, I hope that we'll have a whole bunch of people reaching out to you. We lo- we love to see the, the projects that are are crew and acquaintances and friends and uh, associates create and if they're further funded that i'm sure be even cooler projects yeah that's for sure it's kind of like you said earlier like you know it kind of all comes together as the fabric of the arts community how people network with one another and uh it's uh with how with how high speed and digital video has gotten i think it's all the more visible now yeah i agree well, uh, should, should we wrap it up there? Is there anything else we got we to gotta cover before we, we go? Where do people find the information? So our website is plrac.org. We're on Facebook through Prairie Lakes Regional Arts Council. I'm Brenda Byron, and I'm the executive director. I'd be happy to talk with you about your artist project. Brenda, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. Had a great time. Thanks for tuning in. You can find show notes for this and every episode at triplefalls.org.